Now, I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I come to read the Bible, mine mine goes off in all sorts of directions. And often I find myself digressing. I know there's another man who I listen to sometimes who does that, Paul Blackham. He often digresses, uh, but I trust we won't get too far off track. But uh, when sharing the word of God, you know, it's, it's, it's just such a privilege. And I trust you'll forgive me if I do wander from the immediate text. But if you recall back in the Gospel of John 13, it says this, it says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So we're talking about love. As I looked at the the passage, and uh, I saw it was about relationship. Now, I don't know what sort of relationship you have with your spouses or with your children or with your brothers or with your sisters or with those of the family of God in this church. But we're looking at relationship here. And Jesus is saying to each one of us, including myself, do you love me? The world has a very different idea of what love is about. And we look at it through Western eyes, but I'm reminded some weeks back when Bill Park spoke here, and he spoke about the way in which love is looked at at the time of when Jesus lived, and looked at it from the Greek and the way it was expressed in different forms. And I thought, well, you know, if you were present when Bill spoke, it would be good to see if you actually recalled what he said. Sometimes, you know, we we listen to God's word and it just goes straight over our heads. And so I think it's good to remind ourselves, uh, what were the four different aspects of love that he mentioned? Can somebody give me one, please? That's right, Philio, yes. Eros. Agape, yes. One more. The one that's less familiar. Storge. Okay, well, well done for remembering those. But let's look, I mean, again, we know that Eros is the one which is to do with sort of uh, physical attraction, physical love. This is one which perhaps the world would most encounter and would remember. But then we come come to Storge, 
And this is the, the family type of love. It's the affectionate bond that one has between parents and children and between brothers and sisters. And then again we have filio, which is where we have a really close, intimate relationship with a friend. Someone, a close bond of personal affection that we have. And lastly, agape love, or agape, however you pronounce it. What is this type of love? It's an unconditional love. It's a perfect love. It's a sacrificial love. And this is really what we're going to be looking at because most of our songs tonight, as you would have identified, are speaking about the quietness, but also about the love of Jesus. It's one of the most powerful emotions that any human being can experience. Love is the truest test for genuine faith. And it was the problem that Peter had. He'd, he'd let the Lord down. And uh, the relationship that he had, he felt, had been broken. Now, I don't know what your relationship is with God. I don't know what your relationship is with his son, Jesus Christ, or even if you know Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour. Because Jesus died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for each and every person who ever has been and ever will be born into this world. Jesus loves you. And Jesus wants for a relationship with him to be that which is unbroken, that which is pure, that which is holy. But if we were to come to the beginning of this chapter and Nick led us through it this morning and he was talking about the fact that Jesus had appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee and uh, Simon Peter together with Thomas and Nathaniel and the sons of Zebedee um, he suddenly said I'm going to go out to fish now I wonder what was behind Peter saying that. Was he still struggling and feeling guilty for the fact that he disowned Jesus three times? He'd said he would lay his life down for him. You know, sometimes we say that we're going to do things, but we do it thinking that, yes, this is something I'm going to do. It's not that it's bad, but it's uh, perhaps it's not what God wants. And God would challenge us, I believe, tonight to say, are you really walking in the way in which I want you to walk? You see, sometimes we can do good things, but it may not be in keeping or in line with what God wants us to do. I'm not saying he wants us to do bad things, but it's doing that which he wants. Obeying the instructions that he gives. How does God give his instructions? Well, when Jesus was on this earth, he said these words to the disciples. He said, look, I'm shortly going to be leaving you, but don't worry, I'm not going to leave you alone. And another was going to come, and he was speaking about the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the power source of the Christian, and the devil has masterly tried to, as it were, almost uh, delete the Holy Spirit from the Scriptures. 
And the problem is that there has been so much misuse and abuse of the Holy Spirit, particularly in relation to the gifts. Well, the Holy Spirit is something which is very important. And I, I don't know if you appreciate that when you came to faith in Christ, Ephesians tells us this in Ephesians 1 and verse 13. It says that you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with in him with a seal. Remember that word, seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing, remember that word guaranteeing, our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to his praise and glory. Jesus is coming back again to receive his own. Will you be one of them? And again, we read the in the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 21 it says this now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ this is the apostle Paul speaking he anointed us set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come so you've been anointed. When you believed, you were anointed of God. And that's very important to understand what the anointing is. Again, we, re we read about this in the first epistle of John in chapter 2. And he goes on to say this. It says that, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And just dropping down the passage a bit, it says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. And if we drop down that passage a bit further, it says, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you but as his anointing teaches you about all, all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has been taught you, remain in him. So I just want to establish that point, that if you're a Christian here tonight, you have an anointing. And that's important. You have an anointing. Why is that important, that you have an anointing? Well, interestingly enough, anointing has been something which has been done through the years right back in the old testament times we read about the anointing and uh, it was done in various ways and I, I want to take you to one particular aspect of scripture and i want to refer you to 1 samuel chapter 8 and uh, i have a little illustration here 1 samuel chapter 8 the children of israel they had a broken relationship with God. They had uh, received instruction, but they hadn't followed the instruction through. And uh, as a result of that, there came a time when they went to Samuel, the prophet of the day, and they said, look, Samuel, we want a king because all the other nations of the world have a king. And Samuel was pretty upset about that. And he went before the Lord and he said, well, Lord, what are you going to do? He said, because you're the king of kings. And they're asking for a king. 
Very surprising. What did God say? He said, okay, let them have the king. And so uh, he, he said to Samuel, you know, go and anoint them a king. And so what Samuel did, I'm having to cut a lot of the story short because my time is short. But uh, he said, look, he said, if they want a king, then we'll give them one. And he said, look, I want you to go and anoint the king in a particular way. And he said, uh, this is what I want you to do. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask or a, a jar of oil and poured it on Saul's head. Saul was the, the one who was anointed to be king over the children of Israel. He was the first king. And so it was that he took this jar of oil and he anointed Saul as king. Very important, because there is a distinction between this and the anointing that David, who succeeded him, actually had. Saul did not follow what God wanted. And very sadly, as a result of that, because he didn't follow God said, look, I'm going to have to reject Saul as king. Because he gave him instruction and he didn't follow it. And it's important that when God gives instructions to us that we actually have heard what he's saying and that we follow it to the letter. I mean, there were several even godly men in the past, even for Moses, like when God told him, you know, to speak to the rock and water would come out for the children of Israel. What did he do? He got quite cross and he hit the rock. And then water came out. And as a result of that, Moses never got to enter the promised land. He got to see it, but he didn't go in. And it was that Saul was given instruction and he didn't follow what God said. Now, if God tells you to do something, do it. Because otherwise, you will reap the consequence. And as Hannah has been obedient to what God has called her, He's called her to go and serve him, to give two years of her life in ministry, in ministering to others. And so it was that uh, Samuel was instructed to go and anoint David as king because of Saul's failure. Uh, one thing that's interesting is that Saul did not lose his anointing but he lost the blessing of God. I can't develop that anymore because of the time, but so we see that Saul was rejected and Samuel was instructed to go and to anoint David. And how was he to anoint him? Same oil, but a different container. This time, it was to be anointed by a horn. Now, the difference between this and this is quite, you, you can see, it, it's obvious, isn't it? But let me point out something. This is man-made. Who made this? Interesting. And so it was that the prophets and the priests, they used to carry the horns, and they were sealed at the end. They used to, or used to put a plug in, used to put the oil in, and they used to go and anoint 
the servants of God. What's interesting about a, a horn, and uh, I know those who are students of the Bible here, they will tell us, um, what does a horn represent? A horn represents power and strength. That's what scripture teaches, power and strength. This is weak, this is man-made, but this is strong. And uh, if you want a demonstration of what the power and strength was, I mean, what did the children of Israel do when they walked around Jericho? And the priests, they were blowing the horn and on the seventh time round, seven times, uh, they walked around on the seventh time. And they blew the horn and the people gave a great shout and what happened? The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. That's right, power of God, power of God. By the way, uh, these things are not very easy to blow. I don't know if you ever tried them, but um, you can have a look at this one. This is actually one from Israel. It is a true ram's horn, I can assure you. And uh, sometimes you can smell the actual ram in there. But, uh, I'm going to see if I can get a note out of it. Um, not always easy, but let's see if I can get you a note. Well, there we are. I gave it to someone the other day who was a trumpet player. <laughs> he couldn't get a note. <laughs> but so, David was anointed with oil and... Uh, the interesting thing, why am I going through this bit about anointing? We've received an anointing. Because I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about love of God, the love of Jesus, and how that should impact us. I can't actually see. Oh, sorry. The, the time has gone. But let me just, just finish with this. When... Um, having a nick moment at this <laughs> it happens to all of us you know we can stand up here we can speak but um, yeah uh, it'll come back to me I'm sure uh, oh yes and so it was that uh, Saul he chased David for many years through the valleys up the mountains and uh, he wanted to kill him because he knew that he was going to be his successor. And so what did he do? Um, David, he hid uh, in a cave, the cave of Abdullam. And uh, strangely enough, it's a very deep cave and he went right to the back with his men. And Saul came in and uh, he fell asleep. And... David's men said to him, look, now's your opportunity. This man has been trying to kill you. He said, you know what to do? We'll go and kill him while he's asleep. David said, whoa, no, you mustn't do that. He's the Lord's anointed. And David, if you read the scripture, you see that he went and he cut the corner of Saul's garment off. And he felt so guilty. Oh, goodness me, 
I've cut a bit of the robe of the king, the Lord's anointed of. And then when Saul went out and he was a distance away, David stood on a hill and he said, look, Saul, I've got this piece of your garment. Look at it. Check it out. Oh, gosh. I could have killed you, but I didn't. You know, sometimes, brothers and sisters, we don't recognize the anointed of God and the importance of not, shall we say, gossiping them, of not speaking words which hurt them, of not doing things which cause difficulties and problems. You know, we, we can treat brothers and sisters in Christ quite badly. Not just the people outside in the world, but also within the church. And this is a lesson for us that we should be careful how we treat the anointed. And it was a second time when Saul uh, was chasing after David. And as he was chasing after him, again, he Saul was asleep with his men and David crept in with Abishai and uh, again he, he had the opportunity to kill him. Abishai said, look, I can pin him to the ground. He said, no, don't do that. He said, uh, we'll take his, David said, we'll take his spear and we'll take his jug. And then when he was a safe distance away again, he held it up before Saul and Saul said, you're a better man than I am because I was going to kill you. We've got to be careful how we treat one another. And so we, we come back to Peter. Peter, when the Lord addressed him, he addressed him as Simon, son of John. Why did he address him as Simon? Do you know the meaning of the word Simon? It means to listen, to hear what God is saying. And I'm saying to you tonight, Listen to what God is saying. If someone has offended you in church, if someone has caused you difficulties, be careful how you treat them because you could lose your blessing. You wonder why it is that the Lord is not blessing you in the work that you're doing. It's because perhaps you're, you're holding something against a brother or a sister. And then, of course, we see how the Lord wants to restore Peter. And he goes on and he gives him these, these three statements of telling him how much he loves you. And then the first two statements, when Peter answers Jesus, Jesus asks him, he says, do you love me? And he's talking about the agape love. He's talking about the unconditional love. And Peter answers, filio love. I like you. I love you as a, as, as a person and a, you know, as the close relationship that we've got. And the last time when Jesus asked him, Jesus says, do you love me? But he didn't use the agape word. He used the filio word, the same word that Peter used. He wanted for Peter to know that he really identified with him, even although he had been through all these struggles and all the problems that he got. Because when he responded each time, first time he said, feed my lambs. In other words, I want you still to be involved in my work. And then he said, the second time, tend my sheep. I want you still to be looking after the flock. 
And lastly, he said, feed my sheep. He was reinstating Peter. He was showing him that the relationship that had been broken was going to be restored. And I believe that through that, we saw that later on in Scripture, after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, that Peter became the apostle to the Jews. And he gave out the love of Jesus. Our time has gone. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you again just for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, I pray that it will take root and bear fruit in the lives of each one of us, that we might be challenged as to what our relationship is with you. And Lord, do we really love you as you love us? Lord, give us a sense of your presence. We sang earlier on, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will convict each one of us in those areas of our lives where we have let you down, where we have failed. But we want to praise you tonight that there is restoration, there is reconciliation. The relationship can be built up again. And so we give you thanks and we give you our praise in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.